look at yourself in the mirror and say, oh, I don't feel whatever the truth is of what you're going through. I don't feel smart enough. I don't feel good enough. I don't feel like I'm fulfilling my potential. And say, well, maybe, maybe all that is not true. Maybe I'm actually doing great. Maybe this is okay. Maybe. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. I will never forget, years ago, I was working on a very, very difficult project, and I had to build a model, a financial model in Excel, and it was very, very complicated. It had bells and whistles and buttons and numbers and equations, and it was fed by this giant data source that was so big that it would slow down my computer and cause it to freeze. And I felt totally out of my element. I was so overwhelmed by the task in front of me. And I began to develop this hateful relationship with the model that I was building. And it became this source of dread. And I thought about it so negatively, almost like the way that you would think about an ex-lover. I just had such a bad taste in my mouth from this model that I was building. And it's funny looking back on it and reflecting on it because it's so clear to me now that it wasn't about the model. The model wasn't the problem, right? Like, how could I have such strong emotions and so much disdain about something that exists on a computer that is boxes of numbers that feed into one another? How could I possibly feel so emotional about that? And it's not to say that my struggle and my emotions and my frustration and those negative feelings weren't real. They were very real. It's just that they weren't really about the model, They were about the struggle. They were about why the model was so hard for me. And in many ways, too, those negative feelings were about me. Why is this model so hard for me? Why am I incapable of finding a way to make this easy? And this can happen when we're working on really, really difficult things that are stretching us far outside of our comfort zones. We can find ourselves feeling not super positive and not super good all the time. But the ironic thing about these situations is that these are the very situations that demand the most positive version of ourselves because we need to be in that high-performing, good-feeling, focused headspace so that we can work through these difficult things. And no matter what your role is or what your job is or what your career path is, we all run into very, very difficult situations that stretch us to our limits. And I think all of us have been up against this frustration, feeling like this thing is just so hard and wondering why it is so freaking hard for us. If you have ever found yourself feeling stuck or frustrated or questioning why things are so hard and why everything feels so difficult, this episode will be perfect for you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I'm so excited for you to experience it. And with that, let's meet today's guest. Hi, listeners. I'm really excited. First of all, thanks to Jess for bringing me on this podcast 
My name is Geeta Chaudhary. Right now, I would say my career is centered around helping engineers and engineering leaders cultivate a powerful problem-solving mindset. I have a private practice where I work with engineering leaders and software engineers one-on-one. I do small group workshops centered around algorithms, which is something that the listeners who are from the tech industry would know I am an algorithms nut and enthusiast. So I do workshops centered around solving some tricky algorithms, problems together. And I also do corporate workshops for companies. Prior to coaching, I was a software engineer at Google for six, between six and seven years. And before that, I was finishing my PhD and postdoc in computer science at Dartmouth College. In between quitting Google and launching this career, I had two amazing stops on the way that I want to give a a quick shout out to. One is tutoring high school math in an inner city school, which I still do. And I'm so happy that I'm still able to continue that. I'm doing that for almost six, five, six years now. And then I was at a boot camp called Interview Kickstart helps software engineers prepare for these like really daunting top company interviews. And I consult with them still. And those two stops on the way. And here I am. Wonderful. And staying in the present, I've been asking guests to share a little bit about what they're working on today from a personal or professional growth lens. Where are you right now trying to evolve or further develop? So, It's hard to say this, a little bit embarrassing, but this is the truth. Right now, still at the age of almost 45, I am still learning to be a devoted member of the religion of self-care. It's interesting how hard that can be for women. And that's a whole other conversation that we don't need to go into right now. But to describe what am I working on personally, I want to learn to sleep and move and eat in partnership with my body. It sounds really simple, but I suck at it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes. I don't think it's strange at all that you're like, my personal growth goal and evolution is self-care. I actually think that this wave that's happening right now with self-care is part of a giant wake-up call. Like As women, so many decades historically have been spent being concerned about everything around us and not ourselves. And I feel like in some ways we're being shaken awake to the fact that our needs matter. And I think the trend around self-care is one way that that's emerging, which is like, oh, like I get to feel happy too, right? Like, I don't know. I have the image of like the dude sitting on the couch, drinking a beer, relaxing, watching the game or doing whatever an individual male chooses to do or an individual chooses to do. And it's like women waking up to the fact that like, oh, I get to just do this thing because it brings me pleasure. And that's it. Stop. That's it. There's no other thing behind it. I just get to enjoy it. Exactly. And I think self-care for a lot of women, especially the type A ones, it has become another thing that uh, another type (laughs) A thing to pursue. Like they have to, you know, they have like a little model of self-care, like you should exercise and you should, and now it's like more, more pressure. So I think that self-care is extremely important to take care of your, you know, physical, mental, and emotional being that you are, take care of that. But I do think it's very important to go about it in a fun and light way. Otherwise, for women, it just becomes another thing you're failing at. 
It's really an internal goal. It should be a beautiful, kind of a softer, kinder, kind of fun journey and not just another whip whip that you start cracking on yourself. Like, Oh my gosh. Yes. And I know for me, and just from getting to know you, I suspect we might have this in common, but for those of us who are really comfortable using our logic brains to push through things, we can't really apply that same methodology and rigor to something like self-care, which is about this intuitive question of what's going to bring my physical body and my essence pleasure in this moment. Like we can't muscle through that the same way we muscle through like some of these other like other things on our to-do list. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So that's something been a few year journey for me to figure that out that oh, I'm doing self care all wrong. So I think I'm, <laughs> I'm on the right path. Now I don't know how long it will take. But find, ask me in a few years. And then I will <laughs> yeah, be able to tell you. something. <laughs> we'll have you back for a, a self care check in to see if you've been yes. able to get to where you want it to be. <laughs> yes. And before we get into some of the work that you do around problem solving and resilience and kind of getting to a higher performing authentic version of ourselves in the workplace, I wanted to go back in time a little bit and just see if there's anything that you would want to share with listeners from your days in the corporate world working at Google in terms of growth that you experienced or things that were hard that you worked through that might be helpful for others to hear about and learn from. Well, yeah, the time at Google was absolutely fantastic. One thing that I learned was, you know, it's so cliched to say that, oh, I was so hard on myself. But like, if you had asked me at at that time, like, hey, what are you working on professionally right now? What are you trying to learn? Oh, it's painful to even recount what I would have said. But that, that was the truth of it. Like, I was trying to be more disciplined and hardworking, and I would have expressed it in all kinds of sugar coated ways. But essentially, it meant that I was trying to be almost perfect not have flaws. And that can be a problem in and of itself. But being at a place like Google, it's an epidemic of sorts, though, because you're surrounded by amazing, smart people. And so if you go in trying to be perfect, then it can be hard. And I think it's a testament to how well I did despite all the pressures that I was internally putting on myself. I think it's only a testament to the culture there that they that I was still able to do well. And now we're going to come into today and some of the work that you do, because a lot of what you do, even though it is a lot of the time with engineers, a core piece of what they are doing is solving problems and working through challenging things, which I think is relatable to so many people, even people who aren't engineers. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you approach this. So A lot of the times when we are working on something difficult and like, let's say we're stuck or we have a difficult, whether it's a difficult project, a difficult situation, I think I know my tendency and I know for a lot of people, the tendency is to kind of focus on the mechanics of the situation. Like, why is this broken? Why is this not working? How can I make it work? But some of the work that you do moves outside of that and says, like, what emotional experience am I having? as I'm getting stuck. And I would love to hear a little bit more about that, why that's important, and how you use that in some of the work that you do. I love the term that you use, just that the emotional experience. I use the term mindset, but I think you don't beat around the bush. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yes, the emotional experience 
as you're working on a difficult or challenging problem that takes you to the edge of your current ability, you know, there is a frustration that comes with it, like a discomfort, because you suddenly feel like you don't know what you're doing. What is the right next step here? The emotional experience is key to how positively you will be able to immerse yourself in the problem, how creatively you can approach it with alternative solutions. It dictates how clear you can be. It dictates how well you will be able to follow through to completion. It dictates every single aspect of success in problem solving. So let's take a simple thing, treating the experience as if it is a test of how good you are, which people do all the time without realizing. That's an issue because the moment you start to treat something like a test, that how well I do is going to reflect on how good I am, then you're no longer just solving a problem. You're proving something to yourself, to the world. What a burden. It's like climbing a steep mountain with this absolutely unnecessary bag of sand or rocks on your shoulders. And you're wondering why is it so hard? Well, because if you fail, it will not just be that, oh, I tried something and it didn't work. Oh, well, that happens. Let's try something else. It'll be like, oh my God, maybe I am not that smart. And then you're somewhat disconnected from the joy of the process. So I think that's one of the emotional pieces that can be so prevalent without us knowing it. You know, we go to school, which for most young professionals, most of the time they've been in the system of education. And let's say your first, even first 15 years into your job, that experience of being in an education system is still the majority of your experience. And how do we test whether a kid is up to snuff in their education? Well, grades. And do you know the answer? When you enter a test, you should know the answers. So sometimes that sort of becomes a habit. You go to work and say, whenever someone asks me a question, I should know the answer. When a problem is given to me, I should know what to do. It's like, you know what? This is a different game. This is in school. This is different. You will not know the answer. That's almost the exciting part here. That resonates with me so much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's interesting because, so I talk sometimes on the show just about early career struggles that I had. And it was interesting how you talked about in these professional settings, unlike school, it's not like an A to B answer. And often, A, the answer might, there might not be one answer, first of all. And second of all, regardless, there might be multiple paths to get there. So that adds up to like a whole lot of uncertainty. And I think that I experienced a lot of inner anxiety that sprouted from ambiguity and from my lack of understanding that just because something wasn't clear to me immediately, that's okay. I think I had a lot of uh, fear that it meant something about me, about my abilities, whereas I didn't really understand that in this professional world and in this business world, like things are far less black and white, I think, than sometimes we expect them to be. Yes, yes. So how I do like you just said, will reflect on how smart I am, how worthy I am, how employable I am, how promotable I am, how worthy of respect I am. Oh, that is tying this idealistic baggage. And we often do this in the name of idealism, often do this in the name of pushing ourselves to be our best 
or you know perfectionism and it's absolutely unnecessary and to immerse yourself and be one with the problem that you're trying to solve you know you require a certain playfulness a certain silliness i would say a certain aggressive shamelessness <laughs> yeah this that, that same concept actually really helped me with the struggle of speaking up which is so central to the show where it's like I would start observing some of my colleagues who didn't seem as self-conscious as me and they would always be speaking. But like I started noticing they're not saying things that are so smart. And in fact, sometimes they say things that aren't that smart and they're just they just don't give a, a you know, a flying F. And so I was like, oh, that's how I want to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, and, and the the older people or your teachers would point out to some kid who's like, oh, how shameless, you know, and they would just mess up in front of everybody. And it seemed like they didn't even care what you thought. And I'm like, you know, the joke was on me. I tried really hard not to be that shameless kid when I was in school. And I was like, ah, that that's actually a really powerful quality and say, you know, actually, I am okay looking like a complete idiot in front of all of you. <laughs> I would love to hear from you, like if someone's at work and they're like sitting at their computer and there's kind of the blank slate in front of them and it's time to start and they're like, oh no, like what if they could hear Gita's voice in their head, like giving them <laughs> some words of encouragement to help them move, what would you want them to hear? Like, what would you want to be whispering in their ear? <laughs> okay. I love that question because who doesn't go through that? It's very natural. When you have a big sort of complex task in front of you, especially when we are in this habit of measuring our self-worth through every little thing that we produce, then it is heavy. There's a heaviness to doing things. And scientifically, when you, there's that heaviness to it, your body is going to perceive it as oncoming physical pain. And we have evolved to avoid pain, which is awesome because that's how we survive and not die. You know, if there's a fire, we, we have evolved to you know, move our hand out of the fire or uh, get away from the heat. And I've had this experience with one of the amazing students I have tutored in math. And, you know, a lot of math students tend to be really scared. And this ties directly to your question. They're very scared of word problems. When it's a formula, they know what to do. Simple interest, compound interest. Okay. When it's a word problem, so-and-so deposited so much money in their bank, they're like, oh, no, I'm bad at those. And they have this notion about themselves that they don't, they don't do well with word problems. So that notion, you know, creates that anxiety. And I asked this particular student that, oh, wh what did you think when you tried this problem? And they said, well, I really tried and I didn't, didn't get anywhere. I'm stuck. So I was being very gentle. And I said, okay, why don't you just copy this problem from the book into your notebook? And the student looked at me going, why would I do that? I can just read it. I said, well, just do it for me. Just keep an open mind and try it for me. And the students started to write the problem in their notebook, just copying it word to word. See, now they're staying. They're not running away anymore. And so as they started writing it, I said, wait, make it your Mother's Day card handwriting. I want this to be so beautifully written. Every word should just look like it's been printed. And this student just went with it. They're like, okay, fine. You got this. And they really got into it. And so when they're done writing that entire problem, they look at me and go, well, this is not a simple interest problem because blah, blah, blah. The duration is given. This amount is given. And then I went, wait, you have thoughts and ideas now? 
and they were just surprised. And they said, you're right. He said, how did they come? Because you calmed all the noise and you just immersed yourself in the problem with no expectations. Like it was this lost cute little puppy that has come your way. You sit down and you say, hey buddy, you're so adorable. Who are you? What's going on? Saying hello to the problem. And then, you know, the information went from your working memory through these clear communication channels into your brain, which said, this isn't simple interest. This is compound because of that part of that sentence, because you're really present when you're reading it and you forgot to crack the whip. So there are tons of these tricks that different coaches have. So I have my own favorite ones. And sometimes if the performance anxiety is really major, write with your left hand. <laughs> really just be with the problem. And I would really like to encourage our listeners to try that next time in the, they're in the situation that just described amazing questions, by the way, Jess. So much of this happens in our lives so repeatedly where we are just a little bit frozen, a little bit intimidated with the gravity or the size or the complexity of whatever project is in front of us. So try this, say 15 minute timer, just write it, just repeat the task itself and see what you have. I love this so much. Actually, like as I'm hearing you describe this process and how it works and how you told this kid like, okay, write it down and now like write it you know, can you write it even like, like a Mother's Day card? It's so interesting because what it felt like to me, I kind of tried to imagine myself doing that. And it felt to me like being with the problem, but also like, I felt a little bit of like being with yourself, <laughs> like, you know, being with your own pain and your own fears and just sitting in it. And I almost like saw your role as like just opening up this gentle space for this person to just be there. And in that, there's like um, an unraveling that can happen where you can just shed away something that feels very uncomfortable just by taking a little bit of action and slowing things down. And so I think that that's really, really powerful because I think a lot of the times at the center of this is fear and fear around ourselves and our relationships with ourselves. And when you do slow down and force yourself to be present in that way like you're also forcing yourself to be with yourself <laughs> instead of like you said running away to a distraction yeah comfort with discomfort yeah absolutely that's really fascinating to me yes just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you are discomfort you can be uncomfortable and peaceful at the same time and I think on a deeper level too it's just accepting there's no point rejecting what already is there if you're scared or worried, I think part of the problem is we reject that state. It's like, I'm uncomfortable and that must mean something bad. And it's like, no, it doesn't actually. Everyone who works on hard problems, the people you admire, the people you want to be like, that's how they feel. It's just that that's not the entirety of their current experience. And when we are rejecting something, it can sometimes take over the entirety of what we feel. So if the fear, we're like, oh no, here comes fear, then we feel like we are fear. Like, no, part of you is afraid and part of you can be brave and problem solve. So sort of accepting that, you know, that acceptance can lead to comfort with discomfort. 
Yeah, the ability to sit with that discomfort. And I wanted to get your thoughts on intention setting, because that's something that you had mentioned to me when we first met about the role of intention setting in getting through these difficult things. Could you maybe share with listeners how they could use intention setting in their professional lives to build this resilience and move through these difficult things? Yes. So on a very simple level, understand that when you enter a situation, like you're doing going to work day after day after day, and I hear this from my clients all the time, and I can relate to it personally as well, is that you just, oh, I'm just going to work, and then things come at you, and you sort of become a little bit reactive. Doesn't mean you're losing your temper. So it's not like there's a problem. Nobody's saying, oh, uh, you know, she's not being very professional, or no. Sometimes it's very undetectable that you're just sort of going through the motions. So intention setting can cut through that. It can cut through that on any granularity, how you look at your job, how you look at your week, how you look at this hour, how you look at this conversation, how are you gonna look at this particular meeting that you're going into? So it's a tiny little thing that you set your intention. Like, what do you intend to do? It could be something very simple that I intend to be just fully present. I like intentions that are more process-oriented and not goal-oriented because I think scientifically that's just how you do your best work. That's how you set, like, if you really want to hit your goal faster and stronger, then it's in your best interest to put the goal aside for a while and just really immerse into the process. So process-oriented intentions is one suggestion that I have that I just want to be present. I'm going to listen very intently in this meeting and build connections. I will hear people. And then it ends up in a situation eventually where people feel seen, heard, and understood when they're in your company. And, you know, it kind of sets your path for leadership. And it can start with a very small intention. And I think it's, it's, it has a role, very solid role in breaking old patterns of things we tend to get carried away with, like people pleasing or taking too seriously somebody's disagreement, and then we forget to be fully present and fully kind of okay with yourself. So try some of those intention settings. Maybe try it on a very smaller level just to have fun with it. Maybe set an intention for meetings. How about that? We all have meetings at our workplace and conversations. So set an intention to be fully present and listen well. And just say, how about if I just enter this conversation with just this intention? What happens when you have this explicit declaration to yourself that this is the game I shall be playing for the next 20 minutes. And how does that change the experience for you? Because now you kind of know what you're doing. And it's, it's, it's very exciting. It's addicting. Oh, I love that so much. And I wanted to get your thoughts too on what a problem-solving mindset is and just maybe share with listeners how one could get into more of an open, creative, problem-solving mindset. If I had to describe it in a few phrases, I would say a strong problem-solver or a powerful problem-solver is someone who is deeply comfortable with discomfort. Someone who takes setbacks or quote-unquote failures or things that don't go well, they just take it in a very natural and powerful stride as if it didn't even happen. (laughs) They're like, oh, this was coming. And here it is. I was going to do this challenging project and there was going to be a lot of hiccups on the way. And here's my first hiccup. Hi, I was waiting for you. Doesn't really mean anything. 
for the success of the project. It doesn't mean anything about who I am or what I can do. It was coming. I was expecting it. Now it's here. You know, offer it a glass of water, send it on its way, move on with the project. And so deeply comfortable with the discomfort of the difficulty of the situation, takes setbacks in stride and learns disproportionate amounts with every project. It feels like these people who have this mindset, they just get so much smarter every project that they do. And and then they're confident, which for me, uh, confidence is nothing but comfort. People who are confident, there's no such magic ingredient that, oh my God, I just, just be out there and be confident. That's why I have some kind of trepidation about all these articles these days on you know self-help type articles. Just be confident. It's like, hmm. Yeah, there's nobody in the world who doesn't want to be confident. You know, it sounds wonderful, this confidence thing. So, yeah, we all want to do it. It goes without saying. But what is it really? You know, it's not some kind of starry-eyed, unconditional building yourself up where you're completely blind to your faults. Confidence is just comfort. And it is deeply at the center of a powerful problem-solving mindset. That I'm comfortable in this ambiguous, uncomfortable state. And how you can develop that mindset, know that when you work on a hard problem, the deepest excitement for me is that I'm about to get smarter no matter what happens. And there's research to show this. I wish I could just quote exactly where it's from, but you know, offline, I can send you a link, I'll find it. But I've read about this research study where people were given some hard problems to work on and they worked really hard on it, really immersed in it, and they solved it, or at least they think they solved it, but their solutions were wrong. And uh, the brain scan still showed more density. They got smarter because they did something they'd never done before. That's exciting. That's a way to be professionally alive at the end of the day. And it's, it's our first religion, our first duty as human beings is to be alive and not dead. So I think at the very fundamental level, it's so exciting to get into this problem-solving mindset and immerse yourself into the problem and be at the edge of your ability. It's like, now, no matter what I do, I'm going to be a smarter person at the end of it. And that's how exciting is that? Oh, yeah. That actually reminds me of a quote that, not a quote, like a, an idea I just read in a book, which was that growth is maximized when you have two things in place. One is that you're being challenged like at that stretch point that you were talking about. And the other is you have just the right support to help move you through the challenge. And I was like, yes, that is so true and interesting. And that what you said really reminded me of that. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad that you mentioned it because it is important. Sometimes the thing that is in front of us seems like too much. So then you got to reduce it. Change the problem. You don't don't solve the problem that's been handed to you by your boss or by your team. Change it. Make it easier. Bring it to the right level, like Jess just mentioned. That it's the make it the right level of challenge for you, and then build it, build it up from there. Mm. Yeah, and also like sometimes a little bit of validation or just a little bit of moral support can go such a long way. Like I know if I'm feeling stuck, like if if one person, like someone, my manager, someone just like sends a little email saying like that, thank you, like that was great, or like yeah, that was difficult. I'm like, oh, that it makes me feel so good, and it gives me this kind of belief in myself. And so I try to also like send that out to other people and like spy around for opportunities to give someone just like a little bit of like a positive boost. Because I think then also when you have those good feelings, you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And I think that's so important, too. 
Oh, you've touched upon something really profound there, Jess. It's, uh, I mean, it deserves a little blip of its own, I think, in our in our conversation here. Building yourself up, that's what it is. And it's great when you can do that and you can do that for your coworkers or your manager does it for you. You can always do it for yourself. One of the daily practices that I highly recommend I do it myself and some of my clients have done it and have reported just really profound benefits is to write down every day a couple of things that you did that you're really proud of. And I dare people to make them really ordinary. Don't go for the impressive big bang stuff. How about that I really was present and gave a very genuine smile to the cashier when I was checking out at the grocery store. And I'm really proud that I did that. Because we have such a habit of taking ourselves for granted, especially women, that the imposter syndrome becomes like a way of life for a lot of us. So it's extremely important to not wait and build this up over time. And initially, it seems like a silly practice. But, you know, it's something fun to try. Say, what are my three things that I'm proud of? Three is just not a magic number. Choose the number that feels right to you. Start with one if it seems like too much to congratulate yourselves over a little things. And then you'll realize over a period of few months, if you stick with it, that it's kind of hard to take you down when things go bad, because you've planted this new section in your emotional garden, which says, hey, you know, Jess is a doer of things. Every day she does things she's proud of. So yeah, maybe something didn't go well today, but the impact of it doesn't go deep. One silly little way that has helped me with that a lot is like if I'm seeing a movie and there's a character who's like really resilient that I personally relate to, that can really help me because I try to see myself in that character. And then if I'm in a moment of struggle, I try to like channel that character and be like, oh, what would she do? And that kind of just helps move me into a different mental space and think about the situation differently. Oh, you should share some of those on your on your website. I'm, yeah, I'm intrigued. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, I think. And you know, what's really interesting, this is like a little bit of a tangent, but I seem to find those characters most in Pixar movies and like movies that are for, you know, animated movies for younger audiences. And I think part of the reason is because those movies are just so focused on sharing some of these simple but very difficult core life values. Like when things are hard, you can still do it. And I think sometimes those silly little characters really deeply resonate with me because they are so lovable and fun. And I don't know, for me, that's what I relate to. And so I try to go back to that and it just makes me feel good. It makes me feel positive. Oh, that's wonderful. You've inspired me to make a better use of all the entertainment time. I'm a big entertainment nut and I watch a lot of stuff. So I'm going to be leveraging it a little bit more. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing oh, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I One that has like, this is so silly. And I'm like, people are, I guess, going to learn more and more about me as the show goes on. But one of my favorite movies is the movie Trolls. And the main character, the protagonist, is a female troll. Her name is Poppy. And she's just so, like, the the joke with the trolls is they're so optimistic. They're so happy all the time. And it's what makes the movie so funny. Like, they're just their ruthless optimism. And she's kind of one of the characters that really drives the story forward. And she's partnering with this other troll who's very pessimistic because he's been through these difficult things. And 
just her journey and her optimism and all the humor around it, I really related to. And so it's like little things like that that have helped me. And, you know, we're all different. That's what resonates with me. But if that helps you or if that helps anyone else out there, I'm so happy to share it. <laughs> okay. I shout out to watch the movie Trolls. <laughs> it's really good. I love it. I've seen it many times. <laughs> um, and with that, I'm going to ask you the closing questions, my favorite part of the interview that I ask to all of the guests. And the first one is about the title of the show, which is The Art of Speaking Up. And I love to hear from guests what that means to them and why they believe it's important. I believe for me, speaking up is just being who I am, being fully alive. Um, conquering your fears, being comfortable with whatever the difficulty of the situation is. Usually we do speak up when it's not a problem, most of us. So when we mean the art of speaking up is when we should speak up when we usually don't. And so two-pronged approach, understand why you don't. Please don't hate on yourself. Don't label yourself. Don't judge yourself for not speaking up. Try to get where that's coming from and then gently start lifting weights with that muscle. Say, oh, I just haven't had an opportunity in my life to strengthen this particular muscle. So I'm just going to start lifting little weights with it. That's all there is to it. So that is my way of kind of working slowly on speaking up and understand that it's just your way of being alive. It's addicting. You don't have to do this as an idealistic thing. Don't think of it as, oh, it's holding me back in my career. I cannot fulfill my full potential. I need to speak up. There are all these articles about it. Jess has a whole podcast on it. It's, you know, this is to encourage you to have fun with it. Don't use that as another thing that you need to do. Make that as something that you want to do. It's just the next stage of your career, not something you're trying to fix, but something that it's now time to play with. Does that answer your question, Jess? Yes. And I love how you talked about not putting the pressure on. I think that that's really important. And I think this is so individual to the person to find like that balance or that that point that feels good between challenging yourself and accepting yourself. And I think that can be very difficult. And I think it kind of comes full circle to the point about self-care <laughs> and like how we don't know how to not make it a, like a crazy to-do list. <laughs> but um, it's so, so important because I think, I think we live in a world that has made women not feel great about ourselves when there's no reason to feel that way. And so I think that Unfortunately, often it's easy for us to get into a pattern, a very familiar pattern of finding reasons to not be okay with ourselves. And so like you never want anything that's personal growth or professional development related to make you feel less, right? It's there to make you feel good. And with that, I'm going to go into the closing question, which is my favorite. And the context for this question is that I started this show because earlier in my career, I had some struggles, as so many of us do. I didn't really have any mentors, and it was a tough time. And I started this show just to speak with women who might be in that situation, whether they're going through something difficult or whether they're looking to be motivated and empowered whatever it is they want and need. 
And I like to use this space at the end to give my guest a chance to speak to listeners and share what they would want listeners to hear. Well, I want to start with a, a quick little story. Uh, just art of speaking up and talking about speaking up reminded me of this time. And I would call this as faking it till you make make it. And I, I wouldn't consider this stories from a time where I wouldn't qualify myself as someone who is bringing her authentic self. But there's always a humor and a playful side to speaking up that I want to just kind of touch upon for the listeners. Um, I was in a team, a new team, and I was the only woman, which is pretty common in my industry. And we had our team meeting and the lead of the team, amazing person, okay? This is like yoga doing, hiking, totally liberal. This is not a person who thinks that women should not be treated well, far from it. Someone I truly and deeply respect. But these things happen. And they said, oh, do you mind taking notes? And I didn't. I'm an okay note taker. And so I took notes. But there's something in me that said that I was picked for that request because I'm a woman. And I didn't feel super offended because I know this person. And I know that they're not coming from that place. But sometimes it can just be a pattern we've seen so many times with women being administrative assistants in huge quantities and not maybe engineers and sequel. So I was almost like, I thought, oh, it's a juicy little situation. I wonder if it'll happen again. And if it does, what am I going to do? And it was really hard to do this, but I made myself a promise that I was just going to refuse if it happened again. I wasn't going to say anything, but I was just not going to make the notes either. And if it, it might happen again, if, if the reason I felt was the actual, was part of the reason, right? Like was maybe I was picked because, and sure enough, the next meeting and um, I felt a little bad because I was so ready for this. And this person had no idea how ready I was. And so the meeting starts and then they turn to me and say, do you mind taking notes? And I said, I do mind. I do mind. And they said, oh, okay. I said, yeah, that's okay. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, why? Why are you sorry? And then, you know, we just kind of laughed it off. And I think that was it. There was a moment, I don't think this person ever did that again. And that would be congruent to their personality anyway. This is a person I would work together again in a heartbeat. That's how amazing they were. But so it was easier for me to be playful in this situation. I felt pretty safe. But I just wanted to throw it out there that sometimes there is a playful way to approach speaking up as well. You don't have to feel fully authentic. So have fun with it as you, you know, play with visualization and truly get there, which I feel like I'm truly slowly getting there now. At that time, I was quite lost in a lot of ways. But I was so glad that I did that little prank, I would qualify it as. But it was really fun. It's a fun story. <laughs> it's a fun story to listen to. Were you a bit scared <laughs> at all? Yeah, yes. yeah. I think I, 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 probably my face was red. I, I wasn't this confident woman, okay, being her authentic self and speaking up. That wasn't the case. But I just didn't want to let it go either. There was that. So I was afraid and nervous and kind of watching my back all at the same time. And now when I look back at it, I think, oh, in our consciousness, we're very big, you know. Many things can exist at the same time. So we don't have to conquer this mountain before we start kind of playing with it. So you can have, you can be both, you know. You can suck at speaking up and still kind of experiment with it a little bit. They can both be true at the same time. I love that. I love holding the paradox of both things because I think it can free us to say, all right, 
this thing isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. Nothing's perfect, but I can still aim for something. I can still be very optimistic and excited about my future. I'm still thinking about what is my closing? What is the one thing that I want my listeners to really take away from this message? I would say acceptance. I would want all of us to accept who you are. First of all, scientifically, there's no point not accepting what's true in the moment. So first, we can kind of check that box. The beautiful thing that happens when you accept who you are is that you feel like, oh, what if, what if I'm just fine the way I am right now? What if that's true? I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm asking you to make room for that possibility, okay? Look at yourself in the mirror and say, oh, I don't feel whatever the truth is of what you're going through. I don't feel smart enough. I don't feel good enough. I don't feel like I'm fulfilling my potential. And say, well, maybe, maybe all that is not true. Maybe I'm actually doing great. Maybe this is okay. Maybe, just the maybe, maybe is the key word there. Just make room for that possibility. Have a kind of like a naughty smile on your face when you say that to yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, maybe I'm fine. How about that? Just accept that you don't have all the data, all the evidence to conclude without a doubt that you are not good enough. It's a fictional conclusion. And I'm just asking you to make room for another conclusion, which is that you are fine. Three words, look at yourself in the mirror as many times as you can find an opportunity. Going to the restroom is a brilliant time because you're alone, kind of vulnerable, and <laughs> it's a soft space with yourself. You know, as a mother, you learn not to take any moment in the restroom for granted because that's sometimes it's the only time you have to yourself. And you say, I'm fine. How about that? you're fine. Because when we learn to truly accept ourselves, then we don't have anything to prove to anybody. I'm fine. I don't have to prove anything to anybody, right? Now, you might be afraid that, oh, won't I become complacent or lazy and not push and strive? Oh, a million times, no. Absolutely no fear that that will happen to you, listeners, because that's what we do as human beings. That's what we do here on this earth. That's what makes us the most alive and happy and excited is pushing and striving. It's a natural thing for you to do. Once you shed all this expectation and proving things to external you know, conditions and satisfying these demands that you think society has of you or you have of yourself, once you shed all of that and say, I'm actually fine, you will not become complacent you will push yourself because it's fun. It's exciting. It's addicting to push yourself and strive to do better. What could be more exciting than that? But do it for its own sake. Have faith that as a human being, that's what I'm most naturally meant to do is continue to strive and push myself in some dimension or the other. It could be health one year. It could be professional something one year. It could be leadership one year. Yeah, we'll always be pushing. There's no such thing as fulfilling your potential. We all have infinite potential in infinite domains. Just forget about that term. But pushing and striving, that comes naturally to human beings. You don't need these idealistic, unnecessary baggage of proving something or becoming good enough or fulfilling your potential. You're just going to do it naturally. If you just completely, and acceptance is the way to shed it all in one stroke. I'm fine. 
So that's my sort of closing message. You know, it's a muscle. Don't take it for granted. Don't say, oh, I don't have it. No, it's just a muscle. Start lifting little weights with it. Do the visualization. Take a little quiet moments with yourself and you'll be surprised if you give it time and you stick with it, that you get very good at accepting who you are in every moment. And then you don't need anything, but you want lots of stuff. You'll find you're very greedy and ambitious by nature. So you'll just want things. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And it's freeing and it's liberating. And it's just such a perfect way to end the conversation. Thank you so much, Gita. Thank you, Jess. This was so wonderful. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Gita. I had so much fun talking with her and I hope that you had as much fun listening. You might have noticed that this conversation did not have a listener question. And that is because instead of doing a listener question, Gita did a kind of, I would call it a guided visualization to help with self-confidence. And because it's such an immersive thing that she guided me through and she'll guide you through when you listen to it, I wanted to take it out of this episode and put it in its own separate episode because I know many people listen to the podcast while driving or on the go. And this is definitely something that would be best listened to sitting in a quiet place and being able to concentrate. So I will follow up on this episode with a bonus episode that has Gita's visualization exercise in it. I loved it and I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to get in touch with Gita, the best place to find her is on LinkedIn. And I'm going to put her LinkedIn profile link in the show notes in case you want to reach out to her or learn more about her. And I will conclude this episode with a very important question. Have you seen the movie Trolls? You know what the answer is for me. And I have seen it many more times than once. Have you seen it? And if not, do you intend to see it? I would love to hear from you. It is one of my favorite movies. As always, you can find me on Instagram. The handle is at The Art of Speaking Up. That's where you can get in touch with me. You can submit a listener question to be answered on the show. I love hearing from you. I've been posting little drawings, career advice, funny little things there. So I'd love to connect with you there. And with that, I hope you are having a really incredible week as always. And I'll catch you next week. Bye.